find you three men, one that you can pour into, one that can be your, your, your confidant and just be your friend, and then one that's going to pour into you. And that may be your lifesaver. This is The Playbook. I'm live here at the Blue Wire Studios in the lobby of the Wynn Hotel in Las Vegas. Can't ask for a better place to be with better people. And I'm here with the amazing, what I call compassionate capitalist, a true compassionate capitalist, Alvin Johnson. Welcome to The Playbook. Dave, thank you for having me today. I'm, I'm so uh, grateful to be here. And this is a beautiful place, great studio, nice hotel. Yeah, it's an amazing place, but you're an amazing person because you get it, right? I talk about making a lot of money to help a lot of people and having a lot of fun. And, you know, not only do you have your foundation, which is the, you're the president of, of course, which is the Hope Housing Foundation, uh, which is an affordable housing partner to many, inspiring what I think is one of the greatest necessities and will be in the next 20 years as well. But even more importantly, you empower other people. You have this extraordinary multifamilymonopoly.com, which is a boot camp, three-day boot camp. Right. You have a 12-month apprenticeship that you provide and a mastermind simply to elevate others. Right. Uh, you know, there's a point in your own career where you feel secure enough that, you know, you've learned enough, you have enough, now it's time to pour into other people. When was that in, in your career that you felt secure enough to say, hey, you know what, I get this, and I'm only going to elevate other people to elevate myself now? Wow, that's a really good question. I'll tell you, um, about 15 years ago, I started the education piece around uh, my mortgage business because I was in a mortgage business prior to. And I just knew that the only way that I could be successful was explaining or helping other people understand the process. So as I got into this multifamily space 13, 14 years ago and got mentored, um, I don't know that I've acquired everything I need to be doing this, but when I get with the right people at the right time in the right place, then I can learn from anybody. I know that we've got a system and I've got some great people around me that will allow me to do that, and I just keep getting better every day because of the people that are in my presence. I love that. when you know, especially in real estate, the easiest way to get to where you want to be is ask someone that's already there for directions. And not only are you giving directions through uh, what you're doing, but you're still asking people for directions. Oh, yeah. there, you know, in real estate, there's always more, which I love about it as well. And people ask me, because I lost over $100 million in real estate in 2008, and they asked me how that happened. I said, it was real simple. I didn't ask for help. Uh, and I guarantee if I had people like you in my life, uh, back then that things would have been a lot easier and I wouldn't have made what I call so many big dummy tax mistakes. And uh, for you, when or how did you learn that, wait a second, it's okay to ask other people for help? That I, you know, you're, you're still helping so many people, but you're still learning. You're still asking other people for help. Um, wow. I think I woke up at 38 alone in my bed on my birthday and went, man, you need help. Nice. Um, you got a long way to go and a short time to get there. And you have nobody with you. And so I started praying for mentors. Literally, like, God, please. <laughs> no, please, God. I need a mentor. Yeah. And I needed several. I needed one that was a husband that had been married for a long time because I've had several marriages that didn't work. 
I needed a businessman. I needed somebody to help me be a, a great father. I needed all of that. And uh, it's, it's so funny, Dave, because they still keep coming. Different guys, different seasons, different areas of my life. And uh, so that I think that has been the one thing that has held me, just knowing that I needed help and not afraid to ask for it. So many men get lost in that. Oh, yeah. I've lost, you know, in 2008, my mortgage company, I didn't lose $100 million, but I lost everything that I had. Yes. And um, I lost myself because I lost what I did. I lost my identity. And it took me a year to come out of that. And so I don't ever want to go down that road again. Yeah, me neither. And, you know, there's two aspects to what you do in real estate. One is to empower people to create great wealth, mm -hmm. great security, great legacy uh, in their life. But there's another critical business issue uh, that involves a bigger picture, and that's that every year that goes by, there's less and less places that people can afford to live. And it's a huge problem. How do you interrelate your ability to empower people through the multifamilymonopoly.com, through the efforts of mentorship and all the other things you do to create wealth with the fact that, you know, that wealth that you're creating is also contributing to the fact that we don't have enough affordable housing because, you know, when people know how to make money in real estate, real estate goes up. Right. And uh, it's been going up at a, you know, astronomical rate, especially we were in, I think, the greatest period in the United States of, uh, a, a, bull mar of a bull market, right? Especially real estate. Right. You know, I, I, I own properties that if somebody would have told me, some, like, by the time I was 54 years old, they would be worth, I maybe dreamed that when I was 100, they'd be worth what they're worth today. Yeah. But it happened, you know, since, quickly. Quickly, yeah. Just as quickly as I lost everything. Uh, but, you know, there's still the affordable housing. And I, I work very hard to try to figure out what we can do about this problem. What does your foundation do about this problem? Well, one of the things that we're doing is we're buying in-place assets and making them the nicest place in the communities that we're buying. Um, everybody needs a place to live, and just because it's quote-unquote the hood, uh, those people need a great place to live too. And so one of the things that we've prided ourselves when we buy these older assets is we make them a place where people get to live instead of where they have to live. Hmm. Different mindset. Uh, before, most all the places that we bought, when we bought them, they had to live there because it was the cheapest rent. They were run down and no, man no management and et cetera. And when you come in and change it to where they have to, or they get to live there, uh, it changes the whole community at large. So we're looking for more and more and more assets to buy across the country to do that. Uh, our 501c3 Hope Housing Foundation is a great vehicle for that. Uh, and then when we're playing in the market rate space, we use uh, our multifamily monopoly and just my construction company to do market rate development as well. Yeah, it's incredible too when you elevate the living space how the economy changes as well. By making it somewhere that you want to live, mm -hmm. all of a sudden it rejuvenates all the things around it. Yeah. Give us an example of one of the areas that you went into uh, to you know, regenerate you know, what is truly a frequency. I talk about frequency being a neighborhood, mm -hmm. and you're truly elevating the frequency by making places nicer to live and making it a desired location to take pride in that pride turns into an economic gain. It does. I'll tell you uh, many stories like that, but the one that comes to mind right now is a 
little city called Port Lavaca, Texas. It's down by Corpus Christi. Um, when I showed up at that property in 2011, uh, the grass was about five feet high. There was 110 single-family homes there. Uh, they were built as an apartment community. And literally, you could lose a kid off the sidewalk. And the rents were so cheap. Uh, but I knew that you could not rebuild these for $12,000 a unit. And people are living here. So, yeah, the rents have doubled since 2011, but they're still affordable, less than 800 bucks for a three-bedroom house. Uh, today, as we speak, we're spending another $3 million on that development, uh, just making it the nicest place to live in that market. I think we're the largest multifamily owner in that little city of 12,000 people. we got almost 200 units. And uh, when you can make that kind of improvement in a city where the city officials call you and say, hey, Alvin, please build some more housing here. Please do something here. We need more of this. It's, I could only have imagined this life. And how did that impact having a nicer place to live, the food, the health care, and the schools? I think it's all of that starts at home, right? Um, so if you have a great place for a child or a family to lay down and call home, I think they're better educated. Uh, at least their attention span at school is better. I would imagine that it allows our health to be better because we have a place that we can clean, call home. Clean, safe. Right. That, those are two things that are important to health. Absolutely. Clean, cleanliness and safety. Um, but, Dave, the one thing that I love to do, as you can tell, I'm a black dude. <laughs> uh, and when I go into these communities, um, most of the residents that have lived there on any of our properties over a year know it's me. Yeah. And so when I pull up and they say, oh, it's Alvin, and they see me as the owner or the owner's rep of these assets, for me, that is the best thing ever because I can inspire one of those kids that sees the dope dealer sitting on the side of the street selling dope all day, or they can see me pull up in a pickup truck, and it's like, which life would you rather have? Right. And I hopefully, hopefully, one of these kids <coughs> that see me will get out and go make a difference. And that's a huge difference. And not only do you do that with the foundation by having this I get to live here uh, energy and frequency, but you also do it on the other side to create more investors uh, and more people that have the same strategy and discipline to do it in their own backyards right. where they may know, regardless of whatever cultural, religious, or color backgrounds they have, right. these neighborhoods exist all throughout America. And you can truly make money doing it, but help a lot of people and, like you said, be inspired, have a lot of fun. Now, I had the unique experience of losing everything. And I love when Throw people tell me, times. yeah, and I love people tell me, oh, I didn't lose as much as you. I'm like, everything's everything. Everything's everything. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? And there's, you know, don't buy the BS of, oh, the drop must have been hard. Look, everything's everything. If you got nothing, if you wake up empty, right, if you, I, I know what that's like. And it wouldn't matter if I had dropped from, you know, Five just million. having enough to everything of everything, which I dropped from. It still sucks. <laughs> You know, and it sucks the same for you as it did for me. But not everybody had the mindset, the heart set, and the hand set so quickly as you and I did to say, wait a second, I don't want this anymore. I'm accountable. But I heard you tell me I need mentorship. It's one of the key signs to being accountable, saying, hey, I don't know what I'm doing in, in my marriage. I better figure this out. I don't know what I'm doing with my kids. I better figure this out. I don't know what I'm doing with business. 
I better figure this out. Right. And, you know, for me, it was a certain mindset, heart set, and hand set that said, hey, I'm going to live in radical humility. I'm tired of telling people I know everything. I'm tired of being Midas. I, I'm just going to be me. I'm going to do my best, learn lessons, and have fun being me. For you, what was it lying on your back? You know, our basements had basements. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing is nothing. What got you back up in order to get you where you are today? Wow. Well, I'll tell you, uh, it was the year of 1989. My son was three years old, and that was the first time I lost everything. Uh, interest rates were 18%. I was a contractor back then, couldn't buy a job. And on his third birthday, Dave, I opened the cupboards that morning and we had just enough oatmeal for me and his mom and him to eat. Uh, I could not buy him a Hot Wheel car for his birthday. And I thought that it'd be a great idea because I had a lot of life insurance to try to kill myself that day. So I went around the corner to my in-law's house because I didn't have a gun put a 38 to my head, pulled the trigger twice, and the gun didn't go off. So I got real smart and said, well, my father-in-law is a heart patient. He's got some nitroglycerin pills. I'll just take a whole bottle of those. Surely that'll work. Well, um, I took a whole bottle of those pills, but I remember before I went to sleep, I said, God, man, if you got a purpose for me, then I'll wake up and please forgive me, and if you don't, please for really forgive me because I heard it's kind of hot down there. <laughs> Well, I woke up 10 days later in intensive care, and uh, the first thought, the first thought that came to my head was, man, you're a loser. You couldn't even kill yourself. Yeah, which a lot of people say. Right. So from that, there's never been another low that's been that low. So in 2008, nine, when all of that stuff went away, it was like, okay, now you got to go reinvent yourself again and figure it out. And... Um, The one thing that I remember from 08 and 1989, in 89, I thought I was doing that. I was a coward, I'll just tell you. But I thought I was doing it because of the life insurance and everybody would be better off without me. I just didn't know that day that I was really afraid to face what I needed to face to get on the other side of it. Uh, In 08, when all that stuff went away, I wasn't that afraid. You know, me and God got a little history now at that point, and... And um, I don't know, man. It just it wasn't as far a climb yeah. because I didn't go as far down. And I had some great people in my life, some great guys in my life, even though I lost everything. Uh, I didn't look like it. And uh, I had a lot of encouragement and great people around me. So that, that was the, the clinch you had. You know, I understand the 2008 bottom because I lived that. And I'm someone who, you know, never – have thought about taking my own life. Um, I thought about taking other people's. Yeah, I did that too. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I forgave it, and I, I left that one as well. Um, but I'm always curious, and I've had several people on the show that have had the same experience where they felt the only option was to take their own life, and they failed. Yeah. And then they felt shame uh, out of failing, uh, even that, right? But from that came... Uh, of faith, right, it, mm-hmm. that, that whether they asked for it like you did, you know, either let me wake up or don't let me wake up. I had Mike Mooseberger, one of our top downloaded podcasts, uh, you know, he had lost his family in a humongous tragedy and he had hit, hidden his feelings and became, a, you know, an addict and 
you know, sat there and he decided, you know, his only way out, you know, was to put a gun to his head and he pulled the trigger and the cartridge fell out. And that's when he said, I have a greater purpose. How is that greater purpose reconciled with the faith? I know when I first met you, you said, Dave, I'm on the same journey as you. I just want to get to heaven. Right, I, and to me, that says, Dave, I'm on a journey. I just want to find my higher self. I want to live to my potential yeah. because I believe that that is where I want to be. Wh- where did you reconcile, you know, this idea in 1989 that well, I have a greater purpose and I have faith, like true faith, that I have a greater purpose? You know, in '89, uh, well, my mom was a devout Christian man, and uh, I grew up in an apostolic church. And in 1989, I just wasn't living like it. Right. So I already we're walking had, like it. Right. Yeah. I already had history with God up to that point. So when that happened to me, um, it still took a long time because when you fall off that far, that still small voice is still in there. You just can't hear it because all the clutter. So it took a long time for that to come back. But in in 08, uh, when I prayed for those mentors, it's because I knew that I had fallen off so far from the thing that had held me. The only thing that I have done consistently for 20 years is I've paid my tithes. And I can tell you that that and the faith are the two things that have held me even when I couldn't hear that still small voice. That's amazing. Yeah. All right, so here we are today, both of us living in gratitude, right. living with faith truly on a mission to empower other people uh, while we're making a lot of money, helping a lot of people and having a lot of fun. There's a lot of people today that are anxious, depressed, angry, frustrated, losing their faith. Mm -hmm. Before they get to the point where you and I uh, have lived in the nothingness, the emptiness, the fear, uh, the shame, the blame, the justification, what's the one piece of advice as we finish up as you're talking to the part of our audience that needs a little bit of hope, a little bit of faith, what prayer should they be asking? What, what should they be doing and saying, thinking and believing today to help them get to where they want to be? Well, I'll tell you, uh, as a man, I'll start there. Um, my pastor teaches us that every man should have three men in his life, right? A three-stranded cord is not easily broken, right? So as a man, I would ask, I would implore Man, find you three men, one that you can pour into, one that can be your, your, your confidant and just be your friend, and then one that's going to pour into you, and that may be your lifesaver. Uh, as a woman, I would imagine it's the same thing, right? I, yeah. I don't see why it would be any different. We weren't put here to be alone. Uh, we can't do life alone, and relationships are ultra important. So my piece of advice would be to drop down on one knee, two knees, whatever you believe, whoever you pray to, and just ask for that person to come along to help you. I love it. He's the first person ever here to resolve his life by praying for mentorship. And I have a saying, it's in all my books, everyone should have at least three mentors. And so I'm completely aligned, but I've never heard someone pray for that mentorship as their life-saving prayer, which is a beautiful concept which is probably why you mentor so many people with your foundation, the Hope Housing Foundation, providing affordable housing, as well as the multifamilymonopoly.com. An extraordinary opportunity to get that mentorship because it's more than just Alvin there. Yeah. There's multiple, this is where you could find your three. 
uh, at, at this. And that's why there's the apprenticeship, there's the mastermind, and of course the three-day boot camp. Alvin Johnson, you are truly a compassionate capitalist. You are an all-star. Anything I can do to be of service, check him out. Al Alvin Johnson here with David Meltzer.